I know some of you, some of you I don't know, and um, oddly enough, I'm preaching to you guys, but I'm also preaching to uh, the Granny White campus that are going to be using this for our home churches and for the folks that want to connect with their campus. Um, So I want to speak to you, and I really believe that the Holy Spirit is going to use what we're going about to do here, but I also pray that he's going to use that with our community. And I have to tell you that this morning as I was praying for a time, I really got angry for Midtown. And I got angry because I, I really want us to spark a revolution today. And I know that that word is so overused, but um, I'm serious about that. We're in a time right now where we're living in a culture that is saying that we have to isolate, we have to quarantine, we have to stay away from each other. And I'm just saying, that's enough. And I'm not saying that we don't follow CDC guidelines. I'm saying we as a community realize we cannot do that. We can't isolate ourselves from other people, especially from other believers. We were made to do community with one another. In fact, the very purpose for which you were made, the purpose for which you were gifted by God, the very work of the Holy Spirit inside your life is compromised when you isolate and do it alone. Do you know in the Garden of Eden, we're talking about the garden that was in Eden, where Adam walked with God. God said to Adam, it is not good that you're alone. The Garden of Eden, come on. And so if we're in this season where our culture is trying to pull us away from one another, we know this isn't good. And the church needs to rise up and say no. So whether it's a home church or coming to a service like this or joining a small group, we need places where we're encouraging one another so that we're not deceived. We, we need places where we're hearing people get vulnerable so that we, oh yes, that's right. I need to live my heart on the outside and I need to trust that who I am is enough. Like those things we need so that we can live out our purpose. So one of my prayers for the Granny White campus is that we would have 50 home churches by Christmas. And some of you may be uh, Granny Whiters, um, and you're sitting in this service going, wow, I hate wearing a mask. And uh, so you need to start a home church. Just invite your friends and your neighbors to come over to your backyard and watch the service, and you all worship together. Start it. Um, every Granny Whiter that's watching this, you go, well, who, starts a, who can start a home church? You. That's who. Every one of us. All you got to do is press play and then do life together. So let's get into the sermon. And today we're going to talk about something radical, so revolutionary and now radical. And uh, that word radical, <clears throat> I grew up in the 80s. Did any of you, were any of you around in the 80s? None of you, wow, okay. One or two of you, the rest of you don't want to admit it. Uh, the 80s were a radical time. I mean, there was radical hair, and there were radical clothes, and there was radical music. That's back when Madonna was relevant, you know, and all this stuff was happening. And... Uh, the X Games started at the end of the 80s, and the X Games are where these extreme sports, you know, they're doing radical stuff, and that word was completely overused because they got skateboarders, you know, that are, that are doing wheelies, radical, you know, and doing ollies, radical, you know, and then they, go, they went on these half pipes, like, what's a half pipe? It's half of a pipe, right? So you're doing, going up and then coming back down, and that was so super radical. If you watch the X Games now, like, these guys on skateboards are going up, like, 10 stories and coming down these big ramps, and they're doing, like, 12 flips in the air 
while they're cooking on a hot plate competing with Bobby Flay. You know, they're, they're doing really radical stuff, and that's what we're talking about at all. See, the root of the word radical, it's a Latin word, radicus, and it actually means root. And this idea of radical is that if you pull up a plant, you're getting to the very root of that plant. And the radical idea of getting to the root is understanding that the fruit of that plant is completely dependent upon the root of that plant. In fact, the root is the place where the plant is nourished and it's watered and actually all of life for the fruit comes from the root. And if you can put it this way, fruit never produces a root. But root always produces a fruit. And the radical nature of what we're about to talk about is, is that the Lord wants to change your root system. Because our root system in our lives are really based on two things. One is, what, what do I believe about God? What is my theology? My understanding of the study of who God is. And then secondly, my root system is wrapped around who do I believe myself to be. Those two things right there impact everything you do every day. Every day. I mean, let's think about it for a minute. If you believe that God is this angry something up in the sky, or he's a distant father, or maybe your dad uh, was angry and distant, and the way that you imagine God is that maybe he's loving, but what his love looks like is that he's just kind of standing back, and he's just watching, and he goes, yeah, I mean, I love you, but he always has this vague disappointment about you. If that's how you view God, then how are you going to view yourself? And this is horrible right here. This is, what's wrong with my mic here? Do we know? Is it making a lot of noise? Yeah, tell me what's wrong. Hey, say hi to the camera, by the way. <laughs> Granny White will be used to this because we always have technical failures there. We've embraced it. We all need people. Community. Let's try that. Just don't move. You know? Well, okay. This is such a radical sermon. It's <laughs> okay, I'm going to try not to mess it up. Okay, where was I? If I believe that God uh, is less than loving, or I've defined God's love as always punitive, and always looking at me and going, could be better, then the way I'm going to live my life, think about this. I'm not going to seek out community. I'm certainly not going to seek out church community because church is something I do out of obligation. It's not something I am. It's not something that I love. It's something I avoid. I try to do my minimum obligation to keep that guy up there from getting ticked off at me and making my business not work. And so I'm going to stay away from that. So the way that I view God and the way that I view myself impacts every part of my life. So let's dig into this root, because we're talking about that uh, we are priesthood. We've been talking about the priesthood of the believers, and two weeks ago we said that priests are gardeners, and then we said they're blessed to be blessed, and today we're going to talk about that priests are fruity. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, and this is starting in verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 10. As you come to him, the living stone... Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
For in Scripture it says, so Peter's going back to the Old Testament now, and he says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for fixing this mic and uh, for the interruption. Um, for your purposes, we don't know, but we thank you, and we pray that you would enlighten us to your word. We know that, uh, that, Lord, revelation is not something we discover. It's something that's revealed, and we need the great revealer to come and visit us this morning. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So all throughout this passage, it's talking about stones, it's talking about buildings, it's talking about a house. So before we can understand this radical root change that we're going to be challenging you with, um, we have to understand what Peter's doing. And Peter grew up Jewish. And as a good Jew, he understood that the temple, which was, was the center of Judaism, it was the place where God met with man, it was, the, it was the place that the Spirit of God dwelled, was central to the Jewish faith. And he's using the imagery of the temple now to try to help us understand who Jesus is. He's also using this imagery to help us understand what Jesus has done and what he's doing. He's also using it to help us understand who we are and help us understand what we should be doing. In other words, how do we get fruity? Because we need to be fruity. Because if we got good Rudy, then we're going to be good fruity. I thought that was pretty good. All right. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the root. He is the radical. And Peter calls him, instead of calling him the root, he's calling him the cornerstone. Now, when they would build the temple at that time, this cornerstone was this perfectly square stone that became the place where everything in the temple was measured off of it. If the cornerstone was off, then the walls would be off. So everything was perfectly aligned with the cornerstone. That's why he said, see, and this is um, going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, but it's actually drawn on Isaiah 28. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So this cornerstone was about alignment. And you know, what's cool about our community here at Midtown and what's cool about the church in Nashville, which there are hundreds of churches that are not called Midtown, that are the Church of Christ, and they're beautiful places. What's true about us is that we're not aligned because we have the same taste in food or that we have the same love of music. I mean, worship is different in all these places or we all dress alike or we all have the same race or we all have the same language or we have the same background or even the things that we like. We are aligned because of one thing. We were lost. We were spiritually dead. And Jesus went to the cross and then he rose again from the dead to raise up a new humanity. And we are that humanity. He rescued us from spiritual darkness and brought us into the light. And this shared experience that we have, that we have been forgiven, that we have been adopted, that we've been made holy, that we are loved, that is who we are. In fact, in Ephesians, it says that God, like a waterfall, is lavishing, lavishing on us his love, his grace, wisdom, and understanding. 
That's what's true about every one of us, from the person that just became a believer this morning to the person that's sitting here that's been a believer for 40 years. That's true, that's true, that's true about us. That's what unites us. That's what aligns us to the cornerstone. So a number of years ago, I was, I was a youth director for years, and we were in Jamaica, and we were on a youth mission trip. If you've never been on a youth mission, mission trip, then um, I don't know what to say to you. You probably have a better life. Uh, because they're insane, and especially for the leaders. It's, you know, people don't last long in youth ministry. There's a reason for that. And I got up early. We were staying at this retreat center right outside Montego Bay, and I got up, and the sun hadn't even come up yet, and I'm, I'm waking up. I'm like, good Lord, what am I doing here with these kids that I don't like? And, uh, and I go walking across this campus, and I hear this music playing, and I walk over to this chapel that's a little smaller than this room right here, and in it is packed with Haitian refugees. And these Haitian refugees were fleeing Haiti for some reason, and they were in this chapel before the sun came up, and they were bringing the sun up, no musicians, no instruments, singing praise to God in a language that I did not understand. And I walked into the back of that chapel, and I wept in the back of that chapel because these were my brothers and my sisters. I didn't understand what they were saying, but I knew the one that they were singing to because they had lined themselves with the cornerstone. And we've aligned ourselves with the cornerstone, and it unites us together. You know, in Revelations, it talks about the enemy that we face. And it tells us that we have two weapons against that enemy. That we will overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, which was what Christ did on the cross, and also the testimony of the saints. The blood of the Lamb is, do you know who Jesus is? The testimony of the saints is, do you know who you are? Because when we declare who he is and we declare who we are, then we overcome the enemy. So everything in my life is to be aligned to this cornerstone. I mean, that's, that's radical. When you think about everything in your life, like your sex life needs to be aligned to the cornerstone. Like how do I align that part of my life? How you deal with money needs to be aligned with the cornerstone. Your emotions, like your emotions, if you suffocate them, that's not alignment with a cornerstone. But if you give them the keys to the car of your life and say, I'm going to let emotions ruin my, run my life, it'll ruin your life. That's not being aligned with the cornerstone. How about relationships? That how I do relationships and how I love people and how I let people love me should be aligned with the cornerstone. Or work. How do you view work? Is it something that you've got to go to or is it a calling? has to be aligned with the cornerstone. Or parenting. Wow, good Lord. Parenting needs to be aligned. And marriage needs to be aligned. And singleness. If you're single here this morning, do you realize that God's in control of your life? And if you're single here this morning, we had times where we could talk about that right where you are is right where God wants you to be. And how do you align your emotions with that place if that's not where you want to be? But we have to align our emotions in that place or our thoughts or even our meditations. And here's the thing about aligning our life to the cornerstone. We are absolutely horrible at doing that. I'm <laughs> just telling you. Try it. I mean, just try aligning everything in your life to the cornerstone, and you will discover what a miserable failure you are. I do a lot of weddings, and at almost all the weddings, I start them by saying, well, you're starting this relationship with two basic problems. 
and I turn to the bride, and I go one, and then I turn to the groom, and I go two. Because think how hard it is for you to live with you. Now, you're going to ask another person to join that circus. Like, think about it. It's a difficult thing. Because you're a mess. Do you know that this is true? There are things about you, if you don't know this. Maybe you're too young to know this. I don't know. There are th- you'll learn this. Get married and you'll learn it really quick. Uh, there are things about you that make it nearly impossible for other people to love you. One of the things about me is I love to blame my wife for my pain. So she loves to decorate her home, and she does it in just such a beautiful way. And about three weeks ago, she bought this bench that she puts at the end of the long counter in our kitchen. And my first thought was, I'm going to kick that bench. Like, not intentionally, like unintentionally. And the other night, I turned out all the lights, and I was coming to bed, and I caught my pinky toe on that bench and my fir- the first words that came out of my mouth was, Renee, I kicked it. Her fault. I'm just a blamer. I just love to let other people take responsibility for my pain. That's a horrible flaw. And Jesus knows that you got plenty of them too. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 28. This is the passage that Peter is quoting when he says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So this glorious picture of the cornerstone is coming. Let me read you the next verse. This is verse 17 in Isaiah 28. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail, H-A-I-L, hail will sweep away your refuge and your lies, and water will overflow your hidden place. What is he talking about there? That we are aligning ourselves not to a dead stone. We're aligning ourselves to a living stone. And this living stone is up to something. You know what he's up to? Killing all your other cornerstones. Jesus, if you know Jesus, I'm telling you, he's doing something. And if you don't know that he's doing something, your life may feel like it's miserable. Have you ever seen the show, uh, I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant? I can't believe there's a show like this, but there really is a show where people go to the ER and they think they're dying, and really they're in labor, but they didn't know they were pregnant. That's most Christians, is that when our lives just feel like they're out of control, it's because the Holy Spirit is doing something in us. He's pregnant within us, and he's bringing a reality to change our root so that we become fruity. When my kids were little, we had the worst dog on the planet. I mean, this dog, I, I don't know what was wrong with him, you know, and, but he was horrible. But uh, there's nothing more fun than having a disobedient uh, dog that eats, you know, all your shoes and little children in the house. They, they're just a great combination, you know, managing little children and a crazy dog. But we would always keep a bowl of dog food in the kitchen And more than once, I would see one of my kids crawl past my legs while I'm washing dishes and look down, and they've reached into the dog bowl, and they're about to eat dog food. And for a moment, I go, okay, that that won't hurt them. No, I stopped them, and I go, as a good parent, don't eat that. I've, I've got good food for you. And so when we think about Jesus as a living stone, and he's coming in, He's, he's not taking the things away from us that we love because he despises us. He's taking those things away and challenging them because he deeply loves us. So let's talk about some of them. 
Tim Keller calls them idols. He says an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Then, 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 then. What in your life comes after the then? If I had that, then. Well, let's just talk about a couple of them. You know, during this COVID-19, if you've not struggled some, then you may not be alive. You might want to check your pulse. Because this has challenged everything from comfort to ease to predictability to what you can do with leisure to church. Like some of you may be here this morning going, you know what, I just can't believe that Elliot's not standing up here preaching this morning. Isn't that his pulpit? What's this guy doing? I know, I know, join the long list, you know. You might say Elliot's your idol, you know. If I just had Elliot then, I would be happy. I think he's idol-worthy. What do you think? I don't know. Good-looking dude. The beard needs help. But I, you know, I... But you know what I'm talking about is that you come to church and you go, ah, how was it? Uh, Because what we do is we make an idol out of the church experience. And we say, well, when we get back to normal, then church will be better. Do you know that the Scripture says that when two or more gather, God is there? So let's think about what we're saying. When we get better, then God will be there more. No, God is here, and he's doing something. And there's an intentionality to the work of the Holy Spirit that's got you in this room right now, regardless of who's up here speaking. But boy, we make an idol out of our comfort. And we hate anything that disrupts our comfort. Hates anything that changes the ease by which I live my life. And some of us have created this idol cornerstone where we've aligned our lives to this idea that If it's painful, it's wrong. Anything that hurts means that there's something wrong in my life. And that idol of I'm never going to hurt and I'm never going to feel pain, I'm always going to be ease, will always lead you away from the true cornerstone. And Jesus is always going to fight with you in that. In fact, those times where you feel like everything's perfect, guess what? Jesus is going to come in and stir the pot. Because he's more interested in you knowing him than you knowing comfort. That kind of comfort. Some of us, we, we aligned ourselves to cornerstones a long time ago. I mean, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Like, I grew up, um, and I think anybody would have looked at our lives and said, you're poor. So I grew up poor. And um, I didn't realize the impact that had on me till. This was about 12 years ago. We were in Walmart, and I was with my kids again. They weren't eating dog food. We had progressed to cat food at that time. It's much better. And um, there was a lady in front of us who had a cart full of food and three kids. And uh, they were checking out, and they were ringing it all up. And then she, the cashier said the total, and she reached in her purse and pulled out a bunch of food stamps and started counting them out. And she realized, I don't have enough. I don't have enough money. So she started grabbing something out of the cart and giving it to her kids, says, take that back. And the kids are going like, oh, mom, not that, not that. And it just became this big scene where she's negotiating with her kids and she's looking up at me and the line behind her and she's frantic and she's trying to figure out how do I, how do I get out of this situation as quick as possible 
but you see the panic in her. I've, I'm out of resources. I don't know how to do it. Um, and I stepped in and told the cashier, whatever she can't pay for, I'll just pay for it. Put it all back in the bag. And um, so we're walking out of the car. My kids are going, Dad, why did you do that? You're so much like Jesus. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> you know the answer of why I did that? Because my idol is, I never want to be that woman. Never, 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 never want to be in the situation. And I realized when I was a young man, I made an alignment to the cornerstone that I will never be in lack. Do you know what that falters, fosters in your life? I don't need anybody. In fact, anything you want to give me, I don't want it. I'm a giver. I'm not the taker. I'm the one that's always paying for the extra and coming out the hero. I'm never the person in the line that says, I don't have enough. I need. Do you know what Paul says about that? That's counter to the alignment of the cornerstone. Because Paul says, I boast in my weaknesses so I may know the strength of Christ. I boast in my lack so that I can know his sufficiency. That cornerstone of I will never not have enough. I will always have more than enough was working in the exact opposite direction of the root that Jesus was trying to get in my life because that root is never going to produce the fruit that's fruity. You tracking with me? Can I give you one more? Like, many of us, I didn't have this experience, but I had a lot of experiences that I compare with you. Some of you came from homes where your parents got divorced. And you know, sometimes the root of divorce is this fear that people that say they love you actually leave. And it's easy when we have those kind of traumatic experiences to start to align our lives to this new cornerstone that says nobody's trustworthy. And everybody in your life, you make them go through that American Ninja Warrior course of trust. Have you ever seen that show? Like, and they're doing impossible feats, but you make them go through that every day. Every day you have to prove that you can run the gauntlet of my desire for you to be trustworthy. Because nobody's going to hurt me. Do you know that if you align yourself to that cornerstone, the cornerstone of Jesus that says to you, I've made you to love, and every time you love, it's going to hurt. And trust is not something people earn. Trust is something you choose to give. See, they're two different roots, and they produce two different fruits. So I've got to tell you, Jesus, if you know Jesus, he's in your life challenging you and challenging those false cornerstones because he desires for you to be fruity. So let's talk about the fruit. I'm almost done here. This is verse 5. This is a radical root that produces a radical fruit. It says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And this is our fruit, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That our lives, your life, your relationships, your day-to-day, which may be your last day, everything about your life is a spiritual sacrifice that's offered up to God. We're just a house of fruit. We're just fruity. We were out at Gaylord uh, the other day. Have you ever been out to Opryland, the, you know, the hotel? Across the interstate, there's a big construction site, and they're, they're building all kinds of stuff over there. If you've not seen it, um, it's a construction site. 
and I was with a friend of mine who works for Gaylord, and I said, hey man, what is that? And he could have said, well, that looks like it's wood and maybe some nails, and I think there's some drywall they're using, maybe some concrete. And that's not what I was asking him. And, and then if he said, well, it's a building. That's what it is. That's not what I'm asking him. You know what I'm asking. I'm like, what is that used for? Is that going to be a house? Is that going to be a mall? Is that going to be a water slide? What, what purpose does that thing have over there? So when we think about our lives, when we think about us being built into a living, living stones that built the new temple, what is it for? This is Romans chapter 8. This is verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We know who God is. We know who we are. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. You know what's happening in this house? It's where the Spirit dwells. Do you know that the Spirit is praying for you? The Spirit is crying out for you? He's crying out in you so that you would see who you are? In Romans chapter 8, it goes on to talk about these outrageous things like you are more than a conqueror. Do you know that? That's not something you make true. If you know Christ, that is true. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. It even says this verse, and maybe you've heard it, you've seen it, people tattoo it on their body. He's working all things to good, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you know during this COVID right now, God is saying this is good. We don't understand that, but we understand him. In other words, what I want you to understand is, before we talk about fruit, you need to understand that you're a work of God's art. He has transformed you from not being something to being something. Let's look at verse 9 and 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are the one chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work. You've been chosen to be a holy people. You're God's instrument to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the night and day difference he's made for you. From nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. How, how do you think about that, that you, you're an instrument of God? You're his instrument. So back in the 1920s, maybe in the 1930s, that era, there was a guy, Fritz Chrysler, who um, was one of the most well-known violinists of his time and uh, maybe the best in the world. Uh, was just world famous. And he had earned a fortune uh, playing concerts and, you know, performing all over the world. But a weird thing about Fritz is he'd always give his money away. He was just incredibly generous. And so when he heard about this violin, this very precious, uh, rare violin that was about to come up for auction, he didn't have the money to go buy it, but he wanted it desperately. And so he went to all his friends and his family, and he was able to raise enough money to go and buy this violin, and he showed up too late, and it had already been auctioned off. Um, but he found out who had bought it. It was a collector. Um, it wasn't an artist, it was actually just a collector. And he went to the collector's house and pleaded with him, would you sell me the violin? And the guy said, there's no way, I'm a collector. This is, this, this is one of the most rare violins. There's no way I'm going to sell this to you. And so Fritz said to him, would you at least just let me play it once? 
just before you put it up on a shelf and it's never heard from again, can I just play it and let it sing one last time? The collector said, sure. Come on in. And Fritz began to play. And it destroyed this collector. And he said, he said, I have no right to keep that to myself. And he gave it to him. He said, I'm going to give it to you, Mr. Kessler, because I want you to take it to the world and let people hear it. You know what the root is? You have a father that deeply loves you and has given you everything you need for the life that he's calling you to. You know what's true is? You're sons and daughters, and you've been adopted, and you've been made into high priests. You know what the fruit is? We go into the world, and we let our Father play sweet music through our lives. You know how we do it? With each other. That's why it's so desperately important right now that we don't isolate. That's why I come back to the revolution I was talking about. You know what's going to change the world? Let's stop going to church and start being the church. And I don't know what that means to you, what you need to do to get out of isolation, what you need to do to let another believer see your heart and for you to be vulnerable enough to say, this is really what's going on in me. I'm telling you guys, there are people out there that need to be seen. Maybe you need to be seen. Some people that are right on the borderline of of whether or not they're going to make it or not. And we as a community to come around one another and celebrate one another and remind one another who God is and who we are so that our lives produce the sweet fruit that the Spirit is working in us and through us. So now you see why I think it's so vitally important during this season that we grow our home churches. Because we can only get 50 people in here. Why we grow our small groups. Or why you just decide today that I'm tired of hiding. And maybe, maybe the first step is for me to share with somebody else what my cornerstones are so that they can help me lay a hammer to them and shatter them so that I can align myself to the true cornerstone and see the fruit of that in my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, whatever you need to do right now. Because I'm not sure, Lord, that we, we can be trusted with that, but Holy Spirit, you can be trusted with that. I pray, Father, that um, even right now that you would be stirring the music of our imagination to answer that question, how do I move out of isolation and move more into this priestly house that you've made me a part of? How, how do I practice better understanding speaking about enjoying and celebrating the true roots of our lives you and ourselves maybe that's uh, through a friend or through a small group or a home church or continuing continuing to come here for services but lord stir us and then as you do let us be faithful Give us that strength. Because we know that love always costs. But let us not be stingy. Let us be generous with paying that cost. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.